Well, good morning. Good to see you again. And again, my name is Josh, one of the pastors. We're glad for all of you who are with us online. You know, today's a fun day. We get to start a new book of the Bible. And uh, we're going to be uh, dipping in and out of Proverbs here over the summer. <clears throat> and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, but I do want to just uh, piggyback off one thing Ashley said. Uh, it is Memorial Day weekend. And uh, for those of you who uh, maybe have family members that uh, have served our country, we're grateful for that, especially if, if in, in fact, maybe you've had family members who've given their lives in service of our country. Uh, Jesus said there's no greater love than uh, one who would lay down his life for his friend. And uh, obviously Jesus did that, but we're grateful for the men and women who have done that too, just for our freedom to be able to be here today. And then also, I know it's a day to remember those who've, who've served and given their life, but it's, it's also a day to remember just those of you who, who have served, and we are so grateful for you. And uh, looking around the room, I see a number of you who I know have in different ways have served our country, and, and thank you for that. We're grateful for you. Yeah. And we do. We, we thank the Lord for you. So um, you're, you're, you're loved. And uh, we know we're loved because of your service. So thank you. Well, today we're in the book of Proverbs. And uh, the whole summer, we're going to dip in and out of it, different places. And Proverbs is all about getting knowledge and getting wisdom. And in fact, when Proverbs talks about knowledge and wisdom, it's not talking about knowledge in terms of like accumulating facts, you know, and just kind of getting your head full of info. But it's no like, it uses them synonymously that, that knowledge, according to Proverbs, really is wisdom. It's, it's those facts, those things I learn applied in a right way to my life. And so uh, this is going to be a summer, hopefully, by God's grace, where we grow in wisdom. We don't just learn a lot about this book, but we learn about uh, who Jesus is and uh, what it means to live like him and for him. And by God's grace, uh, my prayer for you and my prayer for myself is that all of us would just grow in our wisdom and our love for and fear of and knowledge of the Lord this summer. And so uh, I'm really looking forward to the next, uh, next 10 weeks or so as we dip in and out of this book. Um, so with that, let's just read the intro that Proverbs gives us of, of this book. Uh, Old Testament book, by the way, if you're looking for it in your Bible, if you go to the middle and open up, if you hit, you'll probably hit Psalms. Just go to the right a little ways and you'll find Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and, and the one who understands obtain guidance to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, and then we're going to work our way through this. Father, thank you for Jesus, and thank you, uh, Jesus, that, that you are, in fact, the wisdom and power of God, and that as we know you, we can gain wisdom, and we can uh, gain uh, joy in, in life. And so, uh, Lord, as, as we study your word, um, I pray it would result in, in change in our lives, but also that it would result in, in more and more love, Jesus, for you. Holy Spirit, would you teach me and speak to me even as I speak and teach your word? 
let my words be your own and uh, that we would, uh, we, would, we would see Jesus for who he is and as wisdom and power and that, that we would grow just in a, in a longing, a desire for wisdom and knowledge and love for you. Teach us and change us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, Proverbs begins like this. Really, you could say wisdom begins like this. The Proverbs of Solomon. You know, uh, these first seven verses that we already read, it's kind of the the preface to the book of of Proverbs. It's the the intro to this whole Old Testament book. And so we're going to talk about that, but it might be helpful uh, just to talk a little bit about Proverbs as a book in general, a little bit of an intro to the book. So maybe let's just talk like the who, the, the what, and the why of the book of Proverbs. Well, we start off with the who right away in verse one, the Proverbs of, of who is it? Solomon. Yeah, Solomon. What do you know about Solomon? You ever heard of that guy? You, you probably have, but what do you know of him? Do you know Solomon is uh, considered to be and, and is and has been and was the, the wisest man other than Jesus ever to walk the face of the earth? He, he was the greatest king of Israel. I mean, under Solomon, Israel experienced peace and victory over its enemies like no other time in its history and no other time since. And uh, under Solomon's leadership, the, the kingdom of Israel, the, the land of Israel, it grew and its borders expanded uh, to, to its largest state in history. Never to reach that yet to this day even. Solomon was an incredible leader, an incredible king, but you might know that he has a lot of wisdom, but did you know Solomon also has some things about him that are pretty messed up? Like, he's a pretty normal person like us. He's done some really stupid things. In fact, uh, before he even received wisdom from the Lord, we find out that, that he had been really doing some dumb things even before that. You know, in fact, in your book of Proverbs, where you see in verse 1 there, the Proverbs of Solomon, you might just jot down in the margin, 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, because that's where we really learn about Solomon getting his wisdom. And so I'm going to turn there now. We're just going to look a little bit at this guy, Solomon, who wrote Proverbs. Uh, One of the things about Solomon is that uh, he's presented right away in chapter 3 as a guy who um, wasn't good in and of himself. He didn't get wisdom because he was making all these right choices. He got wisdom out of God's grace. In fact, in the very beginning, it says Solomon made a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. He took Pharaoh's daughter and he brought her into the city of David until he had finished building his house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. Now, that that might have been a common thing for kings of that day to to marry another king's daughter as kind of an alliance and and, uh, of of peace and of relationship. But God had made clear to his people, no, you you shouldn't marry people of of, of another religion. Race doesn't matter, right? I mean... uh, Race uh, that happens and that's that's fine. There's nothing inherently wrong or in, in any way, shape, or form about interracial marriage. The issue is uh, interfaith uh, marriage, and, and what God's concern is is that by marrying uh, this woman from Egypt who worships different gods, had nothing to do with the color of her skin, just that she worshipped different gods. That in doing that, his heart would be drawn away to those gods and away from the true living God. And so that's why God gives that instruction. For, so this morning we had uh, some of the graduates up here, right? 
for you guys, when you start looking for a spouse one day, first on the list, first on the list, if you know the Lord, is someone else who knows the Lord. Because if they don't, you're just setting yourself up for, for a lifetime of struggle and of being uh, unequally yoked with somebody to where you're both kind of pulling opposite directions. And who knows, maybe you would influence them to love the Lord, but more often than not, they might influence you to move away from the Lord. So, so don't set yourself up that way. Look for somebody, look for a man or woman who loves Jesus and, uh, and go after them. In fact, that's what, uh, that's what King Solomon didn't do. He didn't listen to God's advice about marriage. And then as we go on, we do read in verse 3 that Solomon loved the Lord. There's, there's a good thing about him. And he followed the decrees of his father David, but except one thing, except for the fact that Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. Your translation might say at the high places. He began to worship false gods. To, to worship not the true God, but, but false gods of, of people. And in fact, Solomon ends up marrying, he has like 300 wives, 700 concubines, and they totally draw his heart away from the Lord. So while it says he loved the Lord here, we get a glimpse into the fact that uh, his heart is divided to some degree. In fact, the most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there he sacrificed a thousand burnt offerings. It wasn't like just a small thing. His heart was totally drawn away, totally drawn away. But then Solomon, uh, that night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said to him, Solomon, what do you want? Just ask me, Saul. I'll give it to you. What do you want? I wonder if, if, if God said that to you this afternoon or tonight very vividly in a dream, what would your response be? Would, would your response be, uh, Lord, just give me a bunch of wealth so I don't have to work anymore? Like, just make me stable and secure for the rest of my life. Would you, would you wish for that? Would you ask him for uh, maybe victory over your enemies, like different struggles and relationship for you? Maybe you don't have any, like, sworn enemies, but there might be some conflict in your life. Maybe you just ask for, for peace from all that conflict in your life. Uh, maybe you'd ask for a long life. Like you want to live to see your children's children, children, and, and that God would give you a long and healthy life and joy-filled life. Which one would you ask for? Maybe it'd be something else. Well, Solomon gets that opportunity. Let's see what he asks for. He says, give me an understanding heart. In other words, give me wisdom. Why? So that I can govern your people. Solomon was the king. He had just become king. And he's praying, help me, Lord, that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Well, the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for all those other things that come to my mind right away that I might ask for. He asked for wisdom. How about you? So God replied, well, because you've asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, you haven't asked for a long life or for wealth or for the death of your enemies. I'm going to give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. But then get this. He says, and I will also give you what you didn't ask for. 
I'm going to give you riches and fame. No, no other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I'll give you a long life on top of it. Solomon asked for wisdom and he got everything else. And, and maybe he received some of those things because of his wisdom. But, but that was the right choice. I wonder, what would you ask for? Are you, are you hungry for wisdom? I, I think that's probably one of the prayers I pray for so often. Uh, you know, heading in to maybe meet with somebody or to, to talk to somebody new or just make a decision about life. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me. I'll even pray that in the middle of conversation sometimes. Lord, give me wisdom. Help me here. Holy Spirit, help me. Do you ever do that? It's a great prayer. And, and Jesus' little brother James says that when you ask God for wisdom, he gives it without reproach. He doesn't, he doesn't go, you're asking for that again? Really? Like, when are you going to figure this out? No, he gives it. He doesn't hold anything again. He, he gives it freely. And it begins with the Lord. So Solomon's Proverbs here, while Solomon uh, was a pretty messed up guy, he also had incredible wisdom, which gives me hope because I don't know about you, but I'm also a, a messed up guy. And that means I can have hope and I too can receive wisdom from the Lord. Isn't that encouragement? And uh, so who's Solomon writing to? That's the who of who wrote it. Uh, but as we keep reading, we read who he's kind of writing to and writing this for and compiling it for. You know, he says to know wisdom and instruction, to give understand, to, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth, to the young. You know, Proverbs in large part is written to the young and to the simple. To the young and to the simple. And if you're not young, chances are you'd say, I, I feel like I'm pretty simple. <laughs> you know, God can teach me a few things and I need to learn. It's, it's written to all of us. Now, often as you, as you read this book, you're going you're gonna to realize, especially the first nine chapters, you read about a father giving wisdom, imparting wisdom to his son. That it's given to instruct those who are young. In fact, uh, uh, there's a lot of evidence that points to the fact that Proverbs would have been used even to train young people uh, up as they grew older in their knowledge and love for the Lord and in wisdom. And it's a great, great training manual. But, you know, it's not just for the young. It's also for those of us who are simple, and it's even for those of us who may also already be wise because we can grow in wisdom. Look at verse 5. So let the wise hear and increase in learning. And the one who understands obtain guidance. Like we can keep growing in wisdom. You can never have enough wisdom. It's a great thing to get and to pursue with all your heart. And, and one of the things the book of Proverbs is all about giving and imparting knowledge and wisdom to us. So if you want wisdom, this summer might be the summer of wisdom for you. Where, where you could read this word to the wise over and over. I'm going to challenge you to do that actually later this morning. And uh, all of us to, to read through this book over and over this summer. Uh, but one of the things I love about Proverbs is, uh, you know, the young, the wise, the simple, or the young, yeah, the young, the wise, the simple. I feel like I'm pretty simple. And I like Proverbs because it's also simple to understand. Anybody else feel that way? You ever read Proverbs and you're like, I get that book. Like I, I get parts of it. Like I can read that and I don't have to guess what it's saying. Like, I just know what it's saying. You know, uh, the Proverbs make sense to us because of that literary form of a proverb. We're familiar with that. 
You know, that's just an opportunity to say, you know, the, the Bible is really, uh, we think of it as a book because we have it in a book form, but it's really a library. It's a collection of books. And there's different types of literature in this collection of books. Some of it's narrative and history, and so I read it to learn. Some of it is, is commands and instruction for life. Some of it is poetry. And so it, I have to understand what I'm reading. Some of it's like we finished First Peter. It's a letter. And we get to kind of just like look over the shoulder of somebody as they're writing to their friends. And then some of it, like Proverbs, is categorized as wisdom literature. And it's there for us to be able to think and consider life and grow in wisdom and knowledge. But Proverbs is especially helpful for us because Unlike maybe some of the other aspects of the Bible where uh, poetry in Hebrew is a little different than poetry in English, and so we don't always see the poetic side of things, Proverbs are pretty universal. And they show up in every culture. In fact, some of the earliest writing in the history of the world, uh, the, the Sumerians had Proverbs 2,000 years before Solomon. And you know, in our culture, we've got some Proverbs. In fact, I bet you know them. See if you can complete some of these Proverbs. Look before you leap. Yeah, you got it. Try it again here. The early bird gets the worm. Now, if you're not from our culture and you hear that, you're like, what is, huh? The early bird gets the worm. Well, we know, we know, like, we don't even have to explain it. We know the meaning of that, right? Like, you, you get up early, you get somewhere early, you, you obtain what it is that you're searching and hoping for and wanting to secure, right? The early bird gets the worm. Now, how about some more? Uh, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Uh, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen, <laughs> right? If, if you don't want to stir up strife, or if you, you can't handle it when it comes, just keep your mouth shut. Um, all that glitters is not gold. Don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. See, Proverbs make sense to us. Like, it's just, it's a common thing about life. And I bet you could think of more. You're probably even thinking of more. And we've talked about the who of Proverbs being Solomon, and it's written to the, uh, the young, the simple, and the wise. But the what of Proverbs, what a proverb is, maybe it'd be helpful to define that. A proverb is just a short, pithy statement that teaches practical wisdom about life. It's a short, pithy statement that teaches practical wisdom about life. Pithy just means like to the point in a few words, right? It just means a synonym for short in a lot of ways. So even when we consider some of those proverbs we talked about, um, those are short, pithy statements that just give practical wisdom about going about life. And the proverbs of every culture are similar in that sense. They just give practical wisdom, and they're short. They're kind of catchy, so you remember them. Like, you don't necessarily have to write it down even. You just, it's easy to memorize. And it teaches you as you go about life. And normally, they, they also consist of, like, two lines. There, there's this parallelism where there's a phrase and a second phrase, and they kind of explain and modify each other. You'll see that in, uh, in the Old Testament book of Proverbs. But one of the things that's unique about these Proverbs as opposed to maybe some of our cultural ones, is these Proverbs presuppose faith in God. And they acknowledge the fact that ultimate wisdom, you might gain some wisdom from following the Proverbs of life, and, but the source of ultimate wisdom 
is the fear of the Lord. And to not fear the Lord actually puts you in the category ultimately, eternally, not as somebody who's wise, even though you might be as you walk this earth in terms of just uh, kind of streetwise, it really puts you in the category of a fool, according to scripture. And nobody wants to be a fool. Uh, so as we read through Proverbs, I mentioned, you know, they uses parallelism, kind of one, two line structure, and we'll see that as we go through. But probably one of the most important things to, to recognize as we read and study Proverbs is that when you're interpreting it and you're applying it to your life, is that the, the individual Proverbs that are all collected in this book really represent general nuggets of wisdom, not universal truths. They express what's normally true, not what's always true. In fact, often, uh, Proverbs have exceptions that get played out in life, don't they? Let's go back to our one earlier, the early bird gets the worm. Sometimes the guy who shows up late gets a worm too. Have you noticed that? But the guy who's lazy still gets it and still benefits. Now, generally speaking, normally it's true that you, you work hard, you, you go after it, you get what you go for. But sometimes even the lazy prophet, consider some of the Proverbs. By the way, keep in mind then that Proverbs are not promises. <clears throat> They're not promises. They're Proverbs. So for example, uh, Proverbs 10, 4, lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. That's generally true. Somebody who works hard and is diligent is going to grow in wealth. Somebody who's lazy is going to experience poverty, but Sometimes people who work really hard are still stuck in poverty, and sometimes the laziest people in the world might have more wealth than you'd even know what to do with. So it's generally true. Sometimes there's exceptions. Or how about Proverbs 3, 9 and 10? Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Well, Generally, that's true. If I honor the Lord with my wealth and I, I, I give and I'm generous, then God keeps giving to me. But sometimes you can give and be generous and the reality is you hit a drought and you don't have much wealth. But here's the problem then. If I, if I view a proverb as a promise, then that happens to me and I think, well, where's God on this one? I thought he keeps all his promises. He does. But these aren't promises. They're proverbs. You got that? Generally true, but sometimes exceptions. I'll give you one more example. Uh, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way of the Lord, and when they, when they grow up, they will know what? They'll not depart from it. Now, now some of you, you, you've done that faithfully. You've trained up your children in the way of the Lord, but, but guess what? When they've gotten older, they've departed from it. And you're thinking, well, so, so what happened? What did I do? What where is God on that promise? How did I fail? And you may not have failed. It's not a promise. It's generally true. It's a proverb. Do you see? And so you got to keep that in mind as you, as you read this. This is to impart wisdom and instruction for life. But, but sometimes there's exceptions. I've already said it, but the why then of Proverbs, we talked about the who and the what. The why is to impart knowledge, to impart wisdom. I mentioned it already, but the writer of Proverbs uses those terms interchangeably. Sometimes we'll see, like we did this morning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Other times the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
Wisdom really is more than just about those facts in my head. As we've said already, it's about knowledge that's rightly applied. And you know, so much of the Bible is about do this, don't do that. There's commands, believe this, don't believe that. Well, that's great, and that's helpful, and we need that. Proverbs, uh, on the other hand, doesn't really tell us do this, don't do that. It tells us instead, primarily, think. Use your head. Think. That's, that's, the, that's really the message of Proverbs. In fact, Tim Keller writes, one of the main messages of Proverbs is that you've never really thought enough about anything. Think about it. Consider it. Consider your ways of life. Now, as, as we work through Proverbs over the summer, uh, the book of Proverbs is kind of three sections. You've got this little preface at the beginning, those first seven verses that introduce it, Proverbs of Solomon. And by the way, I should say there are some Proverbs included in this collection uh, that are not written by Solomon. They're written by a few other people as well. But the bulk of it is Solomon. And then uh, the rest of chapter one through the end of chapter nine is kind of uh, this uh, longer poetic piece to where you can kind of read, it's divided kind of into chapters. You can kind of read a chapter at a time or a few paragraphs at a time and learn from it. And it's really a, a, the discourse of a father to his son. But then after you get to chapter 10, that, that third part is really kind of those traditional kind of one-liner, two-liner proverbs. And so the challenge in reading this book and in teaching and preaching this book is that the first few chapters, you can, you can go about it and you can digest pieces at a time, but then you start to get into some of those other chapters and, and really the majority of the book and you're reading and you're like, tells me this and then this and the, out of left field comes this one and then out of, over there comes this one and you're like, what in the world? What's, he's just on a tear here writing all these down. You gotta remember, it's just a collection. It's a collection of Proverbs. And so when you read it, kind of read for distance in a sense and, and look for the pieces that apply to you that day that you're reading. Because chances are you're going to read through it and you're going you're gonna to hit a ton of stuff that in that day, in that moment, you're like, that has no relevance to my life right now. But then you read that same verse three weeks from now and you're like, that has absolute relevance to my life right now. You see? So, so just you kind of read through it and apply what you can for that day. We'll, we'll talk more about that this morning just as we talk about reading this book together this summer. Uh, because probably the best way to understand Proverbs then and the way that we're going to teach through it over the summer is really thematically. So Proverbs has a lot to say on a lot of different themes. It talks about parenting. It talks about marriage. It talks about finances. It talks about our speech. It talks about our thoughts. Uh, it talks about so many different things with, with practical wisdom. And... Uh, so, so we're going to kind of approach it that way, because if we went verse by verse through this book, we'd be here till about 2025, 2026, because it just jumps and kind of ping-pongs all over the place through the book of Proverbs. So that's what we're going to do. And uh, as we do, we're going to remember that it's generally true, not universally true, but it gives us wisdom for life. Now, that's, that's a little bit about Proverbs, and we've read already how it begins in this book. And kind of the key motto of the book of Proverbs that shows up 39 times is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. What does that mean, the fear of the Lord? Verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Well, I would commend to you that wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord, but the fear of the Lord is really about a right relationship to God and with God. It's about right relationship. Let's start with the two right relationship to God. You know, the, the fear of the Lord is about 
uh, having a right understanding of who God is and who I'm not. <laughs> that I'm not him. That he is in full control. That he is powerful. In fact, when, when you read the fear of the Lord, sometimes uh, it, it's right to say it includes the reverence of the Lord. And you'll hear me say that often, uh, even this morning probably as we talk through it. But it's, it's more than just simple reverence. And it's, it's actual fear. It's like, be afraid of him. He's incredibly powerful, incredibly holy. Now, if you also got to understand that at the same time while he's those things, he's also loving. So that type of fear isn't a fear that tells me to run away from him. It's a fear that kind of uh, freezes me in my tracks and says, I don't know what to do right now, so I'm just going to trust you. And I'm in awe of you. And you're afraid. Have you ever had that sense about God? About his holiness? You look at creation and realize that, that he's just, he spoke everything into existence. And you realize that same God created you and loves you. And longs for you to know him and trust him and love him. That's the fear of the Lord. To have a right relationship to God. Knowing who he is who he truly is. You know, um, even Jesus, uh, who is God, when he put on flesh and lived as a man, lived as a human being, uh, we read that, that he had a right reverence for God the Father, a right fear. Hebrews chapter 5 tells us that in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, that he was heard, Why? Because of his godly fear. Now, is Jesus like in terror of the Father? No. But he recognized that the Father is, is God and he's powerful and he's holy and he's perfect and he's in control of all things. Jesus even is described as having godly fear. Maybe we ought to, too. Um, Jesus also talks about those who don't fear God as being those who are unrighteous and who are fools. You can read that, and if you look in Luke chapter 18, you'll see him say that. But the first time fear really shows up in this collection of books is back in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are, are put in the garden, and they're given the, this great expanse of a garden uh, to care for and to, to master and to rule over. And again, not like garden in your backyard. If you've been around, you've heard me say this a hundred times probably, but garden like uh, Yellowstone National Park, right? Like huge, massive amount of land if you look at the description in Genesis of how big it was. And they had one rule, don't eat from this one tree in the middle. Or if you eat from it, you'll surely die. And what do they do? They're tempted by the enemy and then they sin and they both eat from it. Adam and Eve both. And then in... Uh, the following verses, we read that God comes looking for them. He says, where are you? And Adam replies, he goes, I heard you walking in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. Why was he afraid? He knew who God was. Adam may have sinned and broken his relationship with God, but he still had a right understanding in terms of his relationship to God of who God really is. That he's powerful and awesome and holy. And when, when he gives us instruction to do this and to not do this, he does that saying, he doesn't say don't because he's just a killjoy. He says don't, don't hurt yourself. And, and so uh, he also does that though because he wants us to, to have a holy life and to have joy. 
And so we ought to live in fear and in awe of him when we disobey, just as Adam did. The term of, of being afraid or fearing God shows up 720 times, over 720 times in the Bible. And, and we tend to maybe push that off and we favor God's love, right? Which, I'll admit that, I do too. Favor loving God and his love for me. But the reality is a healthy fear is what makes that love so amazing. The, the writer of Proverbs in chapter 34, verse 11 says, Come, O children, listen to me, and I will teach you. God says, the fear of the Lord. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. And then uh, Psalm 33 gives a little more insight, uh, verses 8 and 9. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Well, why? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Again, why? Because well, he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood for him. I mean, how many things have you created simply by speaking? And I'm not talking like when you talk to Alexa. I mean, like you just happened, had something like just come about because you spoke. The only thing I can think of is like in the cold and I can just see my breath come out. That's as close as it gets. And that's like a vapor that disappears. But God spoke all of the universe into existence. He spoke and it came to be. This morning coming in, it was still dark and I looked up, the moon was kind of to the south in the sky. And I remember looking at it this morning and thinking, God, you spoke that into existence. I don't have the faintest idea of how to even draw near to that, but you spoke it and there it is. And yet you also spoke me into existence and you love me and I have a great fear for that God. And while I know that I sin, I want to honor him with my life. How about you? I want wisdom. Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fearing him, having a right relationship to him also includes humility. You know humility, right? It's, it's knowing your place. Humility as opposed to uh, thinking of myself higher than I ought to or lower than I ought. Uh, being, the, the book of Proverbs often says, uh, compares humility with being wise in your own eyes. Being wise in your own eyes. Being proud. In fact, just uh, humor me for a second. Turn a page over and look at Proverbs chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 5. Uh, you might know these verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. But in all your ways, do you know what? Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Paths, by the way, this metaphor is going to show up over and over in Proverbs as well, just talking about the journey of your life the trajectory of your life, that God gives wisdom for that. But then after saying that, after saying trust him, look what it says in the next verse. Be not wise in your own eyes. Instead, it's compared, here's this parallelism, it's compared with fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord. Why would, why would the writer of Proverbs say this? Why would he compare those two things? Well, because people who are wise in their own eyes generally think of themselves as the center of the universe. As opposed to like we just read uh, back in Proverbs 33, that the one who is at the center spoke everything into existence, and so I should fear him. Those who are wise in their own eyes and ignore the Lord and don't fear him see themselves at the center of everything. Proverbs is a book about saying, hey, Josh, uh, it's not about you. <laughs> it's all about Jesus. Do you get that sense yourself as you read God's word? 
And by the way, when I do fear him and I turn my eyes away from evil, uh, Proverbs 3.8 says it'll be healing to my flesh and bring refreshment to my bones. So even in the times that I do make dumb choices and I turn away from him and I don't fear him, when I return, <laughs> what's it bring? Refreshment. Brings joy. It brings healing. Well, uh, it's a right relationship to God, but you notice I put in there with slash to. Because it's more than just a relationship to God, knowing who he is and who I am and my place in that economy. But it's also a right relationship with God. And how does that happen? Well, it only happens through Jesus. It's only possible through Jesus Christ. Your, your only hope to be right in the presence of this awesome, holy God is his acting on your behalf in Jesus Christ, the dying on the cross in your place and in my place. See, I mean, that's the gospel, right? The, the gospel is that, that I'm a sinner. I'm more jacked up than I ever feared that I am in my sin. And yet God uh, put on flesh, Jesus, who's existed eternally, put on flesh, became a human being, lived a perfect life that he's commanded to, that we're all commanded to by God. And yet he still suffered uh, the penalty for sin, which he never sinned. And so he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that he could take my place and take your place on the cross so that we could have the righteousness of God. There I say the wisdom and knowledge of God and the fear of the Lord. And it's only through Jesus that I can have that right relationship. It has nothing to do with my goodness, everything to do with Jesus' goodness. Just like Solomon's wisdom had nothing to do with his goodness, right? We already read. He was all kinds of messed up before we even got to his prayer. Yet God in his grace gives wisdom. In fact, Jesus is wisdom, Scripture tells us. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 18 uh, tells us, tells us this, that the message of the cross, that the message I just told you about the gospel is, is foolish to those who are headed for destruction. They look at that and they just think, that doesn't make it, that's just dumb. I can't believe you believe that. Or anybody in 2021 would believe that. But, Paul writes, we who are being saved, what do we know? We know that that's the very power of God. And as the scriptures say, I'm going to destroy the wisdom of the wise and discard the intelligence of the intelligent. So where does this leave, Paul writes, the philosophers, the scholars, the world's brilliant debaters? Well, God has made the wisdom of this world look foolish. Since God in his wisdom saw to it that the world would never know him through human wisdom, he has used our foolish preaching to save those who believe. It's foolish to the Jews who ask for signs from heaven. It's foolish to the Greeks who seek human wisdom. So when we preach that Christ was crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles just say it's all nonsense. But to those who are called by God to salvation, both Jews and Gentiles, check this out. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus himself is the wisdom of God. If I want wisdom, I need to fear the Lord. And that, that fear, that wisdom, really only comes ultimately through Jesus because he himself is the wisdom of God. And he goes on, he says, this foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. 
Friends, that's, that's all grace. It's all grace. You can never do enough to gain that wisdom or to gain Jesus and to gain salvation. It's all gift to you. It has nothing to do with you. No matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, no matter who you are, where you're from, it, it doesn't matter. It's just a simple act of faith saying, Jesus, I believe. Would you take even me? And he would, and he'd save you. And by the way, if you've wandered from him, you can return to him too. And in fact, he, he, won't, he won't look at you with a scornful eye. He'll welcome you with open arms. James 1.5, Jesus' little brother says that if, we've already said this this morning, if anyone lacks wisdom, ask God, and what does he do? He gives it freely. Hey, if, if you want to return to Jesus, you need Jesus, ask God for Jesus, for wisdom. He gives you life freely, without reproach. Turn to him. Friends, with that, let me pray. We're going to have a good time this summer uh, in the book of Proverbs. And, and by the way, actually, before I pray, let, let me just uh, give you some advice here on reading Proverbs this summer and a little challenge. Uh, on your uh, insert this morning, on the back, there's this food for thought section where uh, during a uh, normal ministry year when life groups are all in session, I know some still meet over the summer, but a lot take a break. Uh, there, it kind of changes this food for thought piece. And there's just some ideas for you to read the book of Proverbs. And here's my challenge to you and to all of us as a church family. Uh, have you ever noticed that the book of Proverbs, there's 31 chapters? How many days are there in a typical month? 30 or 31, right? Except February, it, it gets uh, shorted a little bit. But the rest of them, 30 or 31. Well, that's, that's a great uh, act of God's grace to where if you want to read Proverbs, here's my challenge to you. Each day, by the way, June starts on Tuesday, June 1. You can start in chapter 1. Whatever day the date is of the month, read that chapter of Proverbs. Have any of you ever done this? Some of you probably have. I've done it in the past. My challenge is for you to do that this summer. And so by the time we get through the end of the summer, you'll have read uh, all of Proverbs two or three times. Now, as you read it, uh, I told you, especially as you get into those, that second two-thirds of the, the book and those chapters starting in verse 10, you're going to read it and you're going to hit things that are like, oh, this makes sense, this doesn't, this hits me today, that doesn't. So here's what you're going to do. You're just going to read it and you're going to ask yourself three questions. Number one is, is this. Uh, what that I've read today applies to me today. Just mark it down. Just jot the number down, highlight it, do something, write it down. Which one of these verses or how many of these verses apply to me in my situation right now? I guarantee you, every day as you read one of those chapters, there's going to be something there that applies to you without fail. And then next month, it'll probably be a different verse in that same chapter on that same day. Then you're going to ask yourself two questions. Where have I seen this in others? Where have I seen this generally lived out? Like, oh, I saw that guy do this. I saw her do this. I know that's true. And then also, though, Let's bring it home. Where have you seen that play out in your own life? How have you experienced that, negatively or positively, to be true? And jot those things down. I'm telling you, if you do that, this summer will be a summer uh, where you grow maybe in ways you never have before. And where God works in your life and gives you wisdom and joy like he never has before. How do I know that? Well, because this book is the power of God. And the Holy Spirit will use it to change you and to shape you. 
and I'm confident of that. So let's, let's do that together. Sound good? It's my challenge. Let me pray now. We'll sing and we'll call it a morning. Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your word.